podcast for high-achieving gay men who have gone to therapy, want to feel better, and get exactly what they want in life. I'm your host, Harvard Law-trained founder and life coach, Jonathan Herzog. How to Stop Fucking Away Your Feelings and Need the Love of Your Life. Available for download for free at jonathanherzogcoach.com. When you feel horny, it will normally come on as a wave and then retreat. It can seem like something is taking you over. But when you understand desire, you'll know that nothing is taking you over. You've just unconsciously programmed your brain to react to desire automatically. You've practiced it and you're good at it, but that doesn't mean you have to keep doing it, even if it feels intense. Your brain is a pattern recognition machine. So when you learn something and repeat it many times, like brushing your teeth or driving a car, your midbrain makes it automatic. Desire is the same thing for sugar, alcohol, porn, or disconnected sex. It's something you learn and repeat, like learning a language. You practice it over and over, get rewarded enough times, and then you become fluent. It seems involuntary because you've run this operating system for years. You think, oh fuck, am I addicted to sex? Why do I feel so out of control? Why did I have sex with that guy when I didn't want to? Will I ever find love? Are gay men just not wired for monogamy? The data are clear. It is 50-50. 50% of gay men are in monogamous relationships and 50% are not. Let me repeat that. 50% of gay men are in monogamous relationships, 50% are not. That does not mean you have to figure out which camp you were born in. It does mean it's a choice. It's your choice. The internalized homophobic lie is that gay men are not wired for monogamy. That monogamy isn't possible for gay men. That it isn't possible for you. That is a lie. A lie perpetuated by people who really don't wish you well. Marriage wasn't even on the table as a legal option for you until about seven years ago nationwide. The good news is that if you want a monogamous relationship or marriage, it is 100% available to you now. If you don't, no problem. Just know that it's a choice. You're not a hopeless romantic going against your nature or asking for too much if you're looking for a monogamous marriage. Nor are you inevitably bound for an open relationship. It's your choice. You can learn how to build a monogamous relationship if you want it. It won't magically bring you everlasting bliss, but you can have that too. Know this, your God-shaped hole can't be filled with dick. The idea of a God-shaped hole refers to this universal human yearning for purpose, for meaning, for something greater than oneself. And you'll find that it persists no matter how much false pleasure you try to fill it with. That's great news, because it means your true purpose and meeting are waiting for you to claim. They haven't gone anywhere. They've been inside you all along. But what do I do about feeling horny? Feeling horny isn't a problem. It's part of being human. It's important to distinguish between the biological human desire for sex and the over-desire for hookup sex created by our minds. Our desire for sex is based on the healthy release of reward in the form of endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and the brain. Our desire also comes from cultural conditioning and beliefs around what is normal sex and reactance to internalized homophobic social conditioning. When we say sex, we're including all kinds of sex including sexting on Grindr, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. If code scripts machines, media scripts humans. The media we consume, TV, porn, movies, Instagram, TikTok, Grindr, Netflix, HBO, etc. offer us default thoughts and social programming. It may feel like you're out of control. The truth is that artificial desire leads to a thought error in the brain creating unwarranted urgency for sex. 
your desire for hookup sex feels intense because of the reward associated with it. We can reduce the desire for hookup sex. When you do that, there's no need for willpower. Desire is an emotion. All of your emotions come from your thinking. Even seemingly innocuous thoughts like, I want that. When you think about something, you create that emotion. We have conditioned ourselves to react to horniness when we want loving connection, just by choosing to scroll on our phones. Our brains are designed to be rewarded for life-preserving activity. All the cues around sex create neural pathways that remind us how important it is to seek it again and again. When we concentrate sex on our phones, we concentrate that response in the brain. There are two main hormones to consider when it comes to sex and love. The first is testosterone, the sex hormone. It's the main hormone for sexual desire and arousal in men. Oxytocin, or the love hormone, is the main hormone for romantic attachment and bonding. There are two main parts of your brain to consider. The first is your brainstem, your primitive reptilian brain. The lower brain kept us in the cave away from mountain lions and has you do everything to reproduce. The other is your prefrontal cortex, your planning human brain. It enables social coordination, thinking about thinking, or metacognition, and decision making. Lower brain activity is now causing us real problems. Before, being afraid all the time served us well. Now, being afraid all the time, stressed all the time, worried all the time is literally killing us. We get to evolve past those survival mechanisms that got us here. The same is true when it comes to desire. We're evolving away from the survival motivational triad, seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and reducing effort to something more. Sex marketing is based on tapping into your brainstem's desire for immediate pleasure with as little effort as possible. Most every gay physical and digital space to date centers around alcohol and sex. Think of the idea of going out, which literally means over drinking, hookup sex, overeating, over scrolling, overspending. We got a lot of thoughts associated with disconnected sex, like, if you don't go out, you're lame. Everyone else is going out. What else am I gonna do on a Friday night? I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm never gonna find love anyway. I'm gonna die alone anyway, so fuck it. I'm missing out on the fun. I just want to be wanted. I want to, it's fun. It's not fair. I don't gotta have sex whenever I want with whomever I want. It must mean I have a problem. It must mean I'm a sex addict. It's a struggle that requires willpower. I don't have the energy for that. It's awkward to meet a guy and not fuck. How will I know if we're a match otherwise? I'll always feel like I want it and I'll always have to fight against that desire. All lies. And if you have any of these thoughts, it's 100% normal. Again, it means your brain is healthy and functioning as designed. We've created this programmed repeated thought process and associated it with huge reward. That's what makes it so intense. It goes thought, then desire, then sex, then reward. The dopamine hits of the alcohol, the sugar, the processed flour are mixed in there too. The post-hookup food hunt? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Your brain is functioning, again, exactly the way it is meant to, avoiding pain and seeking pleasure and exerting as little effort as possible. Nothing has gone wrong. There is nothing wrong with you. On top of this, there's the psychology of reactance. So when an authority figure, say a parent, tells you you can't do something, your brain just wants to rebel and do exactly that. When the message from society you've internalized tells you gay sex is bad and wrong, your brain wants to say, fuck you. But when you say fuck you, what you end up saying is fuck me. So 
if a little dopamine is good for survival, then a lot of it is even better, right? Wrong. Today, instead of having sex with one person and getting a sizable dopamine release, we can now have sex with a 100 people for five hours every day. Again, we're including sexting here. It's like instead of eating a berry with a bit of sugar in it, we can now eat a teaspoon of concentrated sugar and get a massive dopamine spike. So your brain goes, hey, if that little berry kept me alive in the cave, then this intense sugar is probably way more important. We've got to get more of it. And so it starts prioritizing that over everything else. If a little is good, then a lot must be better, it says. You reward yourself with intensity, which intensifies the desire. That's your brain functioning in a healthy, normal way. It's responding to reward. That's how it evolved. What isn't healthy, what your brain hasn't evolved to accommodate yet, is the intense, concentrated dopamine hit. So when you drink a lot of alcohol or eat a lot of sweets or have a lot of sex with a lot of people, your brain gets such an influx of dopamine, it tries to accommodate it. What it does is downregulate these dopamine receptors, which means it makes them less sensitive, but it doesn't downregulate or reduce the desire. So put in other words, it takes even more sex to get the same hit of dopamine. The more you repeat the pattern, the stronger the desire gets until it becomes the only thing that matters to you. Now note, we're not addressing addiction here. What we are talking about, however, is that when you have this seemingly uncontrollable desire for more sex, your brain is literally thinking it's associated with your survival. But this isn't involuntary. It's just a learned and repeated habit. It seems involuntary. Your prefrontal cortex, your planning brain, is offering something like, I don't want to hook up. I don't like worrying about STDs. I don't like feeling lonely and binging afterwards. I want a boyfriend. I want to love and feel loved. Your primitive brain offers, you have to do this or you're going to die. Dramatic, right? <laughs> Nothing's gone wrong. It's your hyper-efficient lower brain operating as it does. Add on to that billions of dollars in the world's leading engineering talent invested in getting that naked body in front of you on your phone over and over and over again. And in the moment, your lower brain will win every time. So we go to the apps on our phones, the slot machines designed by the world's sophisticated engineers, Designed to exploit the parts of your primitive brain made for social comparison, the primitive brain that wants pleasure now. Your lower brain reacts quickly to immediate desire. Your prefrontal is slower to respond. That's why it feels like you're out of control. The truth is, is that you're always in control. You're always making the decision to pick up the phone and go to Grindr or however you end up there. If you don't meet that desire in that moment, complete that loop, you're going to experience some short-term pain, experience some deprivation. You don't want to experience that sensation. You'd rather just go for the hookup. It makes perfect sense. And it isn't hard to change. I'll show you how. Your prefrontal brain is your superpower. Your lower brain has got nothing on it. No matter how efficient it is, no matter how well it's been practiced, no matter how much it's been rewarded, it is powerless compared to your ability to change what you believe, choose what you think, and choose how you respond. There's nothing the lower brain can do without the consent of the prefrontal cortex. You may not have yet learned the skill of how to use the prefrontal, but it doesn't mean you can't. You've excelled at associating hookups with a reward, and your brain is responding accordingly. No need to hide in shame. You are human. And over desire itself has become the socially normalized way to avoid pain and seek pleasure. It's a socially acceptable buffer. This is not a gay problem. 
This is a human problem. We're just focused here on gay men because no one's really been helping us yet. You've heard of those studies they did on mice. The researchers gave them a hit of dopamine when they hit a letter. The mice kept hitting it at the expense of literally everything. Stopped taking care of their babies, their health, their life entirely. All for that next hit of dopamine. We can't succeed by doing the same things that didn't work for us in the past. We can't stop fucking our feelings away by using willpower or resistance. Deprivation and withdrawal will keep us stuck in the vicious cycle of deprivation and having sex to not feel deprived. We actually glamorize this. We joke about fucking away our feelings. It's like better than shaming ourselves. We've made it laughable. So there's camaraderie around it. Listen carefully. You don't have an over-fucking problem. You have an under-feeling problem. Let me say this again. You don't have an over-fucking problem. You have an under-feeling problem. A feeling is a one-word description of a physical sensation in your body. Happy, sad, anxious, afraid, embarrassed. Every feeling you have is created by your thoughts. Your thoughts are sentences in your mind. You are not your thoughts. Your thoughts create your feelings. We do everything we can to avoid our feelings because we've never been taught the fundamental skill of processing them. Feelings are harmless physical vibrations in your, in your body. For instance, Anxiety can feel like a racing heart, sweaty pits and palms, a tightness in the chest or belly. Sadness can feel like a heaviness behind the eyes, a heaviness, a slowness, a darkness in the chest. Processing an emotion is super fucking simple. First, name it. This is anxiety. Second, Describe the physical sensations in your body. I feel my heart racing. My pits and palms are sweating. My chest is tightening. This is anxiety. Anxiety is a part of life. Third, be curious and watch as the physical sensations change or move. Oh, that tightness in my chest moved to my throat. Or... It, it changed from the size of a softball to a golf ball. Where it went from a deep dark black to a lighter blue. Within about 60 seconds as you watch and observe, the physical sensations will dissipate. You have just processed a feeling. Go you. One unintended byproduct of our highly therapeutic and pathologizing culture is we problematize feelings and make them mean something deep or dark. There's no deeper existential meaning, no sign from the universe, no deeper wound you have to dig into. And for so many gay men who've gone to therapy, they've unpacked their trauma but feel stuck in the thought loops they don't recognize as optional. Your past doesn't exist except as a thought in your mind today. So we have some of these exercises you can do if you download the PDF for free at jonathanherzogcoach.com, but I'll read some of the prompts here and feel free to pause and write down your responses as you go. When's the last time you had sex you didn't want to have? What were you thinking before then? How did that thought make you feel? What feeling or feelings were you trying to avoid with hookup sex? When you stop buffering your emotions with disconnected sex, you get to see your life for what it really is. So we often try to avoid feeling lonely, sad, anxious, embarrassed, shame. We buffer and numb, numb our emotions with overeating, overdrinking, overstimulation, and if you don't ever practice processing your emotions, the primitive brain is always gonna win. 
the push and pull debate itself creates anxiety, which gives you even more reason to want to fuck it away. Remember, when you first, when we as a species first did these things, we got a little dopamine. When you first did these things, you got a little dopamine. You got rewarded. Our brains use that as a feedback loop. So why not just have sex all the time? Because there's an equal and opposite consequence to the immediate pleasure. You already know this. The repeat program that you've created in your lower brain is, I want to fuck, desire, sex. On repeat. Now, everything you do or don't do is to avoid pain or seek pleasure. So if you want to stop doing something you keep doing, it's because you haven't crossed the pain threshold yet. And if you want to start doing something you haven't been able to get yourself to do, it's because you haven't crossed the pleasure threshold yet. Research shows that we're much more attuned to pain than pleasure. Your brain heightens the short-term pain of doing something new and uncomfortable, and it downplays the imagined long-term pleasure. But that's just its default factory mode. You never keep your iPhone on its original uh, OS. It gets software upgrades regularly. And when it doesn't, it crashes in weird ways. So it's really simple. Pain or pleasure. And whether what you want to stop or start doing crosses that threshold in your mind. You're not addicted to sex. You've just never learned to process your emotions. So write this down. What is the actual pain caused by you continuing to fuck away your feelings? And now, what is the actual pain you'll, the actual pleasure rather, you'll create by processing your emotions and what's the actual pleasure you'll create by then meeting the love of your life? We're gonna practice allowing 10 urges to fuck away your feelings. Shame likes things to stay hidden. We choose to shine a light on it to set ourselves free. And the foundation of our work is the self-coaching model. We begin with a neutral circumstance. A circumstance is the fact of the world. This is a rock, this is a tree. Eight billion humans would agree it can be proven in a court of law. So say for instance, you are not currently in a romantic relationship. This is a circumstance, a fact. We confuse circumstances with thoughts. Thoughts are your subjective interpretations, sentences in your mind. For instance, you have the thought, I'm going to be alone forever. A sentence that runs in, through your mind. Your thoughts create your feelings. That thought, I'm going to be alone forever, might create a feeling of sadness in your body. Sadness is just a set of physical sensations. A happiness behind the eyes, a slowness, a heaviness, a darkness in the chest. Your feelings create your actions. Actions are what you do or don't do from a feeling. To avoid processing the feeling of sadness, you get the urge to hop on grinder and fuck away the feeling of sadness. Your actions then create your results. Results are what you create for yourself. The result of the optional thought, I'm going to be alone forever, is that you choose to create a lonely experience for yourself in the here and now. Now, allowing an urge simply means, one, not reacting to it, and two, not resisting it. Reacting to an urge means going for the hookup sex. Resisting it means trying to exert willpower to overcome it. Allowing an urge looks exactly like processing an emotion, a physical vibration in your body. So say you've already got the urge for sex. You've already avoided processing the feeling of sadness, and here comes the urge. First, name it. This is an urge, an urge for sex. Second, describe the physical sensations in your body. I feel a pulling in my arm towards my phone, a racing of my heart, a pulsing in my groin. Third, tell yourself, I can allow this urge. This urge can pass. Be a compassionate, non-judgmental observer of your experience. Be curious. 
Let it pass through you. Watch as it crests and falls like a wave. You have allowed an urge. Go you. Do this 10 times, write it down, and again, feel free to use the free worksheet online. So what's homophobic social conditioning got to do with it? Well, as we know, the four mindfucks of homophobic social conditioning are people-pleasing, external validation-seeking, perfectionism, and the fuck-it effect. Perfectionism isn't the belief you're perfect, it's wishing you were, that you should be, feeling guilty for not being, and the belief you just, your, your life would be better if you simply were perfect. It's black and white thinking, thinking you're the best or the worst. So why do that? Well, your brain lies to you and tells you it'll make you happy. That is not true. Your brain will never give you the approval you seek that way. It'll just keep changing the goalposts. And while nothing external can change how you feel, external validation seeking refers to the socialized pattern of looking outside of ourselves for approval and measures of worth and lovability. People-pleasing refers to the practice of putting other people's desires above your own, and the fuck-it effect refers to the buildup of resentment and frustration from these cycles of people-pleasing, external validation-seeking, and perfectionist fantasies, which lead to these moments where we just say, fuck it. Of course, when we think, fuck it, the result we create is fuck you to ourselves. Note, you are neither at fault nor are you a victim anchored by your social conditioning. We are socially programmed to believe that gay men just want sex. And when you believe the lie that gay men are homosexuals, with an emphasis on the sexual, you define your worth by your body, the vehicle for sex. And we're socially programmed to believe that gay sex is, of course, wrong and shameful. So the logic goes like this. If gay man then gay sex, if gay sex, then wrong. So it's no surprise that you believe on some level that something is wrong or shameful with you. This is great news because any belief you've been taught can be unlearned and you can learn any belief. People naturally crave sex. The feeling of sexual desire, of horniness, arousal, whatever you want to call it, is 100% normal and healthy. So is the desire for touch, for intimate physical connection with other people. These are important and instinctual aspects of being human. Gay men are men. Evolutionary psychology tells us that men can pass on their genes at very little, quote, cost. That's usually in contrast to women who bear the higher, quote, cost of childbearing. But in the context of gay men, evolutionary psychology tells us that gayness evolved to promote social integration and pro-social behavior. So in other words, Darwin would say gayness is why we have nice things as a species. I mean, maybe he wouldn't say like exactly that, but you know, he was born in 1809. Anyway, you're not the only one who prefers an emotional connection with sex, who wants love. Most people do. You've just been beaten over the head with the lie that this isn't available, is boring, is wrong, is not for you. It's really tempting to believe the lie that gay men just can't be happy, they can't find love, that you're just doomed. In fact, we internalize at a very young age the belief that we're wrong just for being, that something about us is wrong, dirty, off, or bad. Homosexuality has existed across every culture and society in human history and among over a thousand different species. The word gay itself dates back to the 12th century, meaning full of joy. Just 30 years ago, one in 10 gay men was dying from AIDS. And so gay men's history can be thought of in three big buckets. Pre-AIDS, invisible. AIDS, dying or getting by the skin of your teeth hidden in shame, and post-AIDS, where we have advanced biomedicine that can prevent HIV in the first place and save the lives of those still living with it. You know this as PrEP. And we have this pseudo-reactionary sexual revolution, 
a bimodal distribution where many gay men are wildly successful, but still internally dreadful. Some more historical context here to bear. Being gay was only removed as a mental illness by the American Psychiatric Association 50 years ago. Being gay was only decriminalized in the United States 20 years ago. Being gay and allowed to marry only became legally possible across the U.S. seven years ago. For gay men, we've been socialized to see ourselves as homosexuals, emphasizing the sexual. It's a millennia-old dehumanization. By the data, young gay men develop contingent self-worth. That's the belief that I'm worthy if and only if I do or achieve X. So we threw ourselves into high-achieving activity. School, work, art, business. This is called the best little boy in the world phenomenon. We've been socialized to be optimizers and perfectionists, get the A+, the gold star, the accolades, the jobs, the prestige, the awards. Here's the thing, though. You don't get a grade in life. There's no Phi Beta Kappa for love. No cum laude for relationships. No gold star for happiness. It's tempting to blame the human condition that life is 50% positive emotions, 50% negative emotions for all humans on being gay. The real question is, what does the fourth evolution of gay manhood look like? Because I've got to be honest, the pendulum has swung far too far in so many corners. We don't need to lie to ourselves about the data because we have the capacity to not conflate morality with public health. We did this for like three seconds with the COVID pandemic. Because here's the thing, almost every lethal disease in the 21st century is a behavioral illness. Death by suicide, drug overdose, the illness is caused by overdrinking and overeating. Listen, no one will tell you this, but if you have a choice, you'd rather not get HIV or an STD. Today, you have that choice. Let me be clear again. This has absolutely nothing to do with your worth, your value, your lovability as a human. That is always and forever 100%. It is also true that gay men are at high risk for STDs, but we've been completely misunderstanding why. It's not that we're sex addicts. It's not that we're biologically wired this way. It's not that God is punishing us. It's not that there's something bad or wrong with us. In 2022, it is predominantly because of one, internalized homophobic social conditioning, and two, we've never been taught how to process our emotions. So we're taught to believe that monogamy, marriage, and love aren't available to us in the first place. And this also leads us to show up as optimizers and perfectionists in relationships. What kind of future can we expect, though, if we don't anchor our possibility in our past? It's up to us to create it. Will you ever find love? Yes. <laughs> Think about the next 10 years of your life. Do you want a boyfriend? Do you want to get married? Do you want kids? So many of us have never been asked these questions or given ourselves permission to ask them. So say you know you want kids, you know you want to be a father, and you know you want to raise those kids with a partner. Let's say you're 35 right now, and you want to have two kids in the next 10 years. And let's say you want to get married in the next five. When do you think you'll meet your husband by? Now, there's no rush. We don't have biological clocks like women do, and that can be comforting. But it can also, combined with homophobic social conditioning, help keep us in extended emotional childhood and reinforce not planning for our lives intentionally. We believe the lie that we will maybe one day meet the one, quote, and it'll just happen when it happens. But look, you planned out your professional life very intentionally. Imagine if you hadn't. Now, there's a lot of confusion and misattribution here. It's not that intentionally planning for your professional life was easier. It's not that intentionally planning for your professional life was all that's available to you. 
It's all that was socially rewarded and validated and approved. This matters a lot. While you were told and made to believe that loving connection, a family of your own, a life partner weren't for you, and whereas with school and careers, there were well-paved paths for you to travel on, in finding the love of your life and building your family, there weren't many or any. You still see the happily married gay couple as a fluke, as a facade, or as an impossibility for you. That's 100% normal. Again, 10 years ago, getting married was illegal. 20 years ago, gay sex was a crime. You've done nothing wrong. And there's everything right with you. You've survived and thrived and built a successful career, the money, the job, the awards, the achievements, and now you're ready for more. You are already 100% worthy as you are and already 100% lovable as you are. Nothing you do or don't do can affect that. What's interesting is we're afraid to get super fucking clear with exactly what we want in life because we buy into the socially normative lie of letting it happen when it happens. How will you ever meet the love of your life, your want match, if you never communicate to yourself or others what exactly it is you do want? If you weren't allowed to say, I don't know, or I'm confused, and ask yourself, but what if I did? What if I had to guess? You know, people usually have a very specific vision. They're just afraid of being judged, afraid of giving themselves permission to ask for it and even want exactly that. But listen, you're not looking for a thousand people. For the most part, you're looking for one. So write down your answers to these prompts. Feel free to pause. What do you want for the next 10 years? Do you want to meet the love of your life? Note, this is different from saying you're finding the one. There's no such thing. There are thousands of people you could love and who love you, but you get to choose, if you want, to be with one of them. By when? Do you want to move in with him? By when? Do you want to get married? By when? Do you want it to be a monogamous relationship? Do you want to have kids? By when? How many? What are their sexes? What are their names? Where do you want to live? Why? No one asked us these questions growing up. In our 20s, in society and culture and media, normalized just fucking around, and it's all perfect as it happened. You get to choose your answers to these questions now. But take notice, what thoughts are getting in your way? Remember, thoughts are just sentences in your mind, and practice becoming the watcher of your mind in a non-judgmental observer way. Just jot them down. After you've done your thought dump, your thought download, ask yourself, am I willing to be wrong about all of this to get what I want? There's a number of love-blocking lies that keep you from having the relationship of your dreams. These are the spark. It should be easy. You've got to win them over. Your heart will just skip a beat and the birds will sing. You'll just know when it's the one. You'll meet them when you're supposed to. You don't want to settle. Online dating sucks. I'm just into guys who aren't into me and the guys who are into me, I'm just not into. There just aren't any good guys. I'm not hot enough. I first have to lose the weight. He's not hot enough. I'm never going to find someone who wants me that I want. It's harder to be gay. Enough. Enough with these lies. You don't even believe them anymore. That's why you're here. People want different things. We have so many more ways to find connections and want matches, both sexually, relationally. There's even recon just for kinks. And your want match is waiting for you. Commit to going on a second date by default unless there's a serious deal breaker. And remember, it's not your boyfriend's job to make you happy. He isn't there to meet your, quote, needs. That's your job. What if your husband's only job was to be loved by you? What if he were just there for you to love? 
Nothing more, nothing less. It's both that he's not everything to you. No single human can be. And that he can be everything to you in that all you need is to love him. When you realize this and open yourself to the possibility of him coming in a package you didn't expect, shorter, taller, hairier, hairless, skinnier, larger, any other physical attribute, the possibility you would not have ever swiped on this guy. Get ready for your heart to expand in ways you could have never imagined. Attraction is a yes or a no. You can cultivate thoughts creating attraction and love if you want. There's an important distinction here to draw between pet peeves and deal breakers. Deal breakers include monogamy, kids, religion, city, smoking, drugs. Pet peeves include likes to travel, likes French cuisine, plays video games, has an eight pack, is a mouth breather. Take a few moments and write down what your pet peeves are and be clear to discern and distinguish them from your deal breakers. You've tried it every other way. Don't conflate the two. How's that been going? Now look, I know what you're thinking and this has absolutely nothing to do with settling. It's the opposite. Settling is believing you have to just die alone. Settling is believing you have to have hookup sex when what you want is actually love. Settling is you bullying yourself by lying about your worth and lovability. Settling is what you're doing right now. Any if-then statement, especially ones involving your or his body or appearance, is simply you choosing to block yourself from the love of your life. You being fit and getting the body of your dreams is totally uncorrelated to you meeting the love of your, of your life, is totally uncorrelated to you being happy. Look, you don't have to do or not do anything. There's no should or shouldn't. You have complete choice and agency as a sovereign individual. I'm just here to let you know that if you want to meet the love of your life this year, you can. And it won't be what makes you happy because your happiness is created by your thoughts. Life is 50-50 here and there. 50% positive emotions, 50% negative. It'll be a different flavor of the 50 for sure. New and different problems, a different texture, but 50-50 nonetheless. The thoughts you think you'll allow yourself to think once you get the guy or get the body, or the whatever, are available to you now. So then you're like, well, why get the guy, the thing, the family, the body? Because you can. Because it's fun. Because you want to. Because you evolve. Because you're human. Look, the way things have been going, it's not your fault at all. We live in a highly therapeutic and pathologizing culture that tells us we need diagnoses and treatments. We have one extreme telling us gay sex is a sin and we're wrong for wanting it or having it, and the other extreme telling us to fuck our shame away and be free. We have all these social incentives and rewards of alcohol and sex and buffering with over-desire. There's nothing you have to fix. And you can choose to stop fucking away your feelings if you want for good. And find the love of your life. And be happy. And these are all unrelated things. Will you ever be happy? Yes, and it's available to you now. Happiness is created by your thoughts. The lie that gay men can't be happy is a textbook homophobic conspiratorial lie that goes back decades. All you're doing by believing that lie today is abdicating responsibility for your emotions. You can 100% be gay and happy. It's literally one of the definitions of the word. What do you think would make you happy? Take a few moments and jot down your thoughts. What do you think would make you happy? 
Now, when you think about each of these things, what will you give yourself permission to believe when you get each of them? It might break your brain, but these thoughts are available to you now. Remember, life is 50-50 for everyone, every single human, 50% positive, 50% negative. Yes, even the one person you think is an exception to this, life is 50-50 for them too. Now, the thoughts you're believing now are not any more true than these thoughts. They're all stories all the same. Choosing to not believe them now is just keeping you from feeling happy. It doesn't mean you have to change them or do anything else. It's just good to know. Getting your family's approval will not change how you feel. Getting your boss's approval, the guy on Tinder's approval, the Instagram influencer's approval, your ex's approval, none of it. Have you ever like won over someone's approval who you thought would make you feel happy, feel worthy, feel excited for about like five minutes, and then realize you don't actually like them, totally discounted their validation, or went back immediately to feeling the same way as before? Now listen, you're thinking, yeah, 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 but I'm not going to settle. To be happy, I'm going to get the hottest, the perfect guy. Listen, I believed this lie for so many years, and it caused me much suffering. Like, people actually want and like different things. I know. I struggle to believe that, too. <laughs> And you're still like, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, but I want the 10. I'm going to get the 10. Okay, listen. So I graduated first in my class at Harvard with a degree in psychology. I tell you this because it's literally the world's number one university. According to my brain, that was an obvious fact. That I won. I was the best. Of course, it didn't make me happy. But really break that down. Interrogate every thought. Even the statement, it's quote unquote the best, is an entirely optional thought, not the truth. First, if you look at the US news rankings, it's actually number three. But like, even if we're supposing we're playing this like relative status game, you know, life is actually a single player game, but more on that later. Even if we do assume that's the case, ask yourself why. Why do I think it's the best? Okay, well, U.S. News said so. Okay, well, U.S. News rankings were created in the 1980s. Was it the best before the ranking? Mm, okay, well, what about all the CEOs or the presidents who went there? Okay, so keep asking, so what? Get to one metric, one thing you're actually implicitly ranking on. Prestige, money, selectivity. Okay, well, what about... Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, who dropped out? And what about Vitalik Buterin, who never went to college? Or the people who started any business instead of going to college? There are people who aren't billionaires who didn't go to an elite school or get an elite job. In fact, two-thirds of Americans never went to college. There are people who started selling stuff on Amazon or an online business without college degrees, and they're making 10 times what you're making. Is that better? Is that worse? I mean, like, really interrogate that. Like, what exactly are you ranking yourself on? When you tell yourself, I won't settle, what exactly does that mean? So here's another example. Say you work for, I don't know, Bain, or insert X prestigious company here. And you think, well, I would never be with a guy who didn't look drop-dead insta-gorgeous, a guy as perfect as X company. Okay, well, why is working for Bain the best? Well, other people say so. Okay, why? Well, because I make so much money. Okay, well, what if you calculated your hourly rate? Hmm. Look, you don't have to deconstruct it this way. It can be one helpful way to realize it's all thoughts. All of it. That doesn't make it less valid or important. It just gives you helpful context. These are strings of words, sentences in your mind, subjective interpretations including your great accomplishments. Do not use this against yourself, only for yourself if it helps. When you have a thought, ask yourself, is this true? Can I absolutely know that this is true? How do you react when you believe that thought? Who would you be 
without that thought. Life is a single player game, which means it's your thoughts that create your experience. You already know this. When you go to bed, you realize this. It's why we're so often afraid of going to bed, because it's the time we're most likely to be alone with our thoughts. How scary. Not really, though. It's the best news. We're born on our own, and we die on our own. Other people are there, but our experience is our own. So you get to choose your experience by choosing your thoughts. Your experience in relationships are your thoughts about them. Your experience in relationships are your thoughts about them. We've run on the achievement autopilot for years. Somewhere along the line, we came out and we began to have sex. We tried to apply the lessons of the achievement game to sex and relationships and happiness, and it failed miserably. Sleepless nights, hangovers, STDs, HIV fear, loneliness, sadness, shame, self-harm, suicidal ideation, drugs, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and endless scrolling. Look, the data speak for themselves. I've worked with so many gay men who came to me saying they're struggling, becoming leaders, or some other cover problem at work, which then very quickly boiled down to an overeating or an overdrinking problem, which then also very quickly boiled down to a relationships or sex problem. It's the problem gay men think they have. But what if it's not? Listen, no one is coming to save you. Your best friend doesn't know what's right for you. Your mom doesn't know what's right for you. Your favorite influencer does not know what's right for you. Your therapist doesn't know what's right for you. Your religion doesn't know what's right for you. You know what's right for you. I spent years searching for someone to be an example of what's possible, and I didn't exactly find one. So I became him, and so can you. If you want further help to stop fucking your feelings, meet the love of your life, and get exactly what it is you want, I offer elite one-on-one -on -one life coaching, the best coaching in the world to get you exactly what you want in life. Learn more at jonathanherzogcoach.com. Be well. listening to this podcast, you have to check out The Gay Man's Life Coach at jonathanherzogcoach.com. It is the community of gay men transforming their lives to feel better and get exactly what they want. Join us at jonathanherzogcoach.com and book a one-on-one -on -one consult today. And if you have one minute, it would be so awesome if you could leave a review on this podcast so we can help spread the word and help more gay men. See you soon.